Hi, I'm John Rogers. I created the show Leverage and Road Transformers, and you're listening to Genretainment. Hi, everyone. This is Genretainment at SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks. And Julie. Today on Genretainment, we speak to the cast and crew of the award-winning series Star Trek New Voyages Phase 2. On for nearly 10 years, the series has had Star Trek alumni stars, guest stars, and won a TV Guide Award and even been nominated for a Hugo. Now, Marx has had the pleasure of being their director of photography and managed to arrange a few interviews with some of the members behind the creative force of the show. So we speak with the executive producer and actor James Cauley, who until recently played Captain Kirk, director Mark Burchett, writer Rick Chambers, John Kelly, who plays Dr. McCoy, Charles Root, who plays Scotty, and Wayne W. Johnson, who plays Walking Bear. We learn the challenges they face of trying to continue the story and still stay true to the original Star Trek series. We also get some hints of new things to expect in upcoming episodes and some fun behind-the-scenes insight on what makes this long-running fan production tick. Now, what you heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song from our web series, Reality On Demand, a song composed and performed by our friend T. Sean Hardy. And you can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Now, we have a lot of interviews, so why don't we get started? Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. This is Marks, and you're listening to Genretainment. I'm here in upstate New York on the set of Star Trek Phase 2. I'm talking to one of the stars of the, of the series. Can you introduce yourself, please? I'm John Kelly, and I play uh, the part of Dr. McCoy. Okay, and you've been with this production for quite a while, right? Uh, pretty much from the beginning, yeah. Back in 2003 was the first... Uh, August 2003 is when I first uh, came out and hooked up with the production. How did you first get involved? Well, actually... Oh, boy. Uh, I actually um, found... Uh, the production, or well, I should say the, the newly developing production on a uh, prop site uh, via the internet, obviously, uh, back in 2003. And I think the, the site is now defunct or inactive. It was uh, a site about props or ASAP. Some people may be familiar with it. And I saw these guys who were sitting in this captain's chair with a mock-up of the bridge behind them, and my mouth just dropped open. It, was, it looked perfect. And I was, and they said we're going to start a production of this uh, remaking Star Trek, the original series. And I was like, oh my god, I, you know, I mean, the bridge was like the Holy Grail, right? I must be a part of this. So I got a hold of uh, then Jack Marshall, who was a director producer, and James Colley, and we just hit it off on the phone. And originally, I came out just to help. I was literally just, uh, you know, I said, hey, I'll, I'll get coffee, I'll build set, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And so I came out with the first. The way I came out the first time was I just. Uh, I was just a helper on the on the set. I played actually. I was in uh, in various times through the, the first production. I was either in a red a red shirt, a blue shirt, and a gold shirt at different <laughs> points as an extra. So that's how I got started. And then the original actor we had playing McCoy, um, James and ja- uh, Jack weren't weren't as happy with the result, I guess. And so they asked me if I'd play McCoy, and I came back and we reshot all of McCoy's things for the very first one. And I'm assuming you're a Star Trek fan, right? Oh yeah. Going way back, uh, where I grew up, we, I only got one channel. Um, and it, as it happened, Star Trek came on, I think, at 4 o'clock on Thursdays, whatever, for whatever reason. It was, in, um, it was in syndication, obviously, at that time. It was the early 70s. But I had to go to my, my piano lesson. Uh, so, so I would see the teaser of every of every episode, uh, but I would never get to watch the whole episode. But I just was, yeah, it was like, uh, so I read up. Actually, the way I know Star Trek is more from the books and the magazines and the technical manuals and stuff. And I mean, I've, since I've gone back and seen the episodes, but uh, yeah, I was a big fan even as a kid. So were you at all intimidated playing uh, one of the main characters, playing McCoy? And, and how did you approach that acting-wise? Were you just going to try to make it your own or, or how did you approach it that's a great question uh yeah i was really intimidated in fact if, if anybody please don't go watch it but if you ever watch the original uh in harm's way i'm very nervous it, it's terribly apparent on on screen it's just uh but it was a good experience for me i'd done a lot of stage acting but i had not done any screen and then 
playing McCoy was just daunting. I mean, I, and originally I, I really had it in my head. I wanted to make the character my own. And I think I, that's ultimately the trajectory I took. And I think it's been, I mean, I've been happy with it, but originally people had a, a, an image in their head as to how they want this, the character to be played. And they really, uh, there was a little bit of trying to try to get me to say things more as DeForest Kelly would say them. And, and it just, it didn't work. I mean, at all. So I think f- the only way I think to approach these characters is to make them your own. I mean, to try and mimic someone else is just, a, you know, I think, a failure from the outset, but that's my personal take. Now, you've done quite a few episodes of Phase 2. What's your favorite one? Wow. Uh, I think my favorite one is still World Enough in Time um, for a whole, you know, a bunch of reasons. And, and part of that was just being having the opportunity to work with George Takei. And actually working with Walter Koenig was, was a lot of fun, too. It was just, I mean, it, literally a dream come true. If, if somebody had told me that uh, we would be working with these, well, in fact, George Takei's name actually came up for the very first episode in, uh, in uh, Come What May, there was some talk that we might get him to do a voiceover or something, and I just couldn't believe that he would possibly be involved in the production. And then a few years later to actually have him in one was just uh, hilarious. The other one was uh, I really enjoyed them kind of getting away from my favorite episode as, a pro, as opposed to uh, the people we've worked with. I, I mean, David Gerald was really a lot of fun to work with. I read a lot of his stuff as a kid. He was one of my favorite authors and read Star, his Starlog column as a kid religiously. But um, I think I'd probably say World Enough in Time is my favorite. Another one I really, really, really like a lot is uh, In Harm's Way because it's such a fun, just a uh, roller coaster, you know. So those are, and then the later ones, I thought the, the child turned out really well. Of course, we've got three coming out, and I haven't really had the chance to see those, so they, they haven't been judged yet. Bread and Savagery, you guys pose in 70s attire, 60s attire. Oh, yeah. So that, how would that feel to be uh, <laughs> uh, that kind of out of Starfleet uniform? That, that was hilarious. We had a lot of fun on the set with that. Uh, there was a lot of laughs, and I thought the pictures turned out great. There's even, I mean, it'll, I think it'll be fun for people to see it because in the script, there's, there's even some references to it. So it's kind of nice. And, and of course, that was the first time we worked with uh, Brian Gross as Kirk. So that was a big change. But he is, I was actually kind of worried, not about Brian, but I was worried because I was so used to working with James. You know, I mean, we've worked, what, seven or eight years together. So it was a long time. And Brian is just so professional and so easy to work with and just a great guy i mean i really felt like the things worked out really really well i hope the fans think so too so now you said you've done some theater you have a theater background i mean did you ever imagine you would ever be in a star trek production in in any way absolutely not uh although i do remember when um when i found out that i was going to be a an extra on the very first one i remember being so so giddy and excited because it was like just the idea that you were going to be on these sets that you're going to be working around other people who like Star Trek and and you know you kind of I'd seen some of the pictures of the things that they were building and so I knew it was going to have a good look to it but yeah I was thrilled it was really exciting all right anything else you'd like to add just <clears throat> enjoy phase two guys it's a lot of fun to make and and I, if it's even half as much fun to watch yeah it's successful because it's a lot of fun to make hi I'm George Strayton screenwriter of Hercules and Xena Warrior Princess and you're listening to Genretainment We've got a mess down here, Captain. The impulse engines are spewing out plasma and we can't shut them down. Ensign Hammonds is in there trying to get a better look. Keep you posted, Mr. Scott. Hey guys, this is Marks. I'm up here in upstate New York where they're filming Star Trek Phase 2. I'm here with the actor that plays Scotty. Uh, could you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, hi, I'm Charles Root. I do play Scotty on Star Trek Phase 2. I have to say this is absolutely the largest studio I've ever been in for an interview. <laughs> Yes, we're in a parking lot right now. <laughs> and and, and it's, it's a dark parking lot with no lights on it and everything. And uh, so if you hear one of us getting mugged, then uh, we'll just have to do this interview at another point, another point from the hospital room. <laughs> All right. Well, you've been with the show for almost entire time. Um, uh, how did you get, get involved? Sure. Yeah. I was with, uh, I actually had met James about, gosh, 13, 14. Is that a truck? <laughs> so I'm like, oh my God, look at the truck. It's coming out. It's not. So uh, I was with, uh, I met, met James about 13 years ago. And uh, we did an acting session at a mall, at a local mall with uh, Mark Leonard. All right. And it's one of the last things Mark Leonard acted in before he died. And I ended up getting randomly put on James's team, and it was a Star Trek skit that they wanted to do. They were having like a little Star Trek convention, and uh, so I met him and acted with him, and had a you know it was a nice guy, and said, "Hey, let's exchange phone numbers and and uh, talk because we all both like Star Trek." Put it away. Hadn't heard from the guy you know for years and years and years, right? Then one day I see 
um, I had been started following Star Trek New Voyages, as it was called at the time, online before I had known they were up in this region. And one night I'm watching the news, and I had just happened to catch the 11 o'clock news, and I, I rarely watch the 11 o'clock news. It's way past my bedtime. And uh, it goes, the Enterprise comes to the North Country. And I'm like, well, well, what's this? And I'm like, oh, my God, that's that dude I saw at the mall. I met the mall years ago, right? So I sent them an email because I, I thought, you know, this is being done in L.A. or something along those lines. And uh, I said, you know, whatever you need, I would love to come and see what you guys are doing. Sweep the floors, whatever, okay? So, yeah, come on down. So I came on down. I started doing uh, some PA work, uh, set, set building, that kind of stuff, before they uh, started shooting the second episode in harm's way. And the director at the time, Jack Marshall, who had been, played Scotty in, in Come What May, the pilot, uh, he, he decided he couldn't do it anymore because, you know, it was tough to direct and um, act at the same time. He go, would you like to do Scotty, you know, and have you have any acting experience? I said, well, in college it is some acting and, and uh, you know, I'm into politics. So, you know, I figure if you're in politics, you need to be an actor. So, <laughs> of, course. <laughs> of course, right? Uh, so that's how I got involved. And from there, I've, you know, I've been Scotty in, in the last uh, 11 episodes. Now, uh, you obviously don't have that accent. So how difficult was it for you to uh, to do that? Yeah. The, the accent, yes. So it has been either ridiculed or praised on, on two different, you know, uh, levels. I, I can't do Dewan's accent exactly. And, you know, and Dewan's accent wasn't a, a Scottish accent either. No one's ever said, you know, from Scotland, like, wow, man, that, you know, uh, James Dewan had a phenomenal Scottish accent. Uh, so I kind of just do, you know, what I can do for a Scottish accent. I seem to like it. Some people seem to like it. I've, like I said, I've been ripped apart about it. So it's just something that, you practice and now it's a lot easier to fall into originally it was a lot tougher i'd sit there and have to go over the lines think of the lines of scottish but now when somebody gives me something it's just a lot easier just to kind of drop into it now that i've done it for so many years along those lines stepping in with an already established character how much did you decide to keep the mannerisms uh, of the original actor and how much did you decide to make it your own yeah you know no one's going to replace james uh, except maybe chris let me tell you chris does a phenomenal uh, recreation of his father's work and I think Chris Duan is is amazing and uh, having spoken to Chris Chris says uh, you know he, he thinks his dad would have been happy with what I was doing and uh, that that's high praise and I look to do Scotty as a tribute to what James did you know and uh, picking up the mannerisms try to um, put some of the inflections in my face that that uh that he used to do uh, especially when like in the recent episode bread and bread and savagery where scotty's in command of the enterprise for for the entire episode he's got to get that look that angry look you know and, and james Dewan had did did that you know so well and that's what i try to mimic but other than that you don't want to come off as a parody so i try to pull back a little bit okay and uh, i try to go in with scotty being a little more tough a little more military than than the way you know James Doohan portrayed him right so that's what I kind of add to it I'm trying to be perhaps a little more um you know starfleetish than what than what James Doohan had done yeah now there have been a number of phase two episodes what's your favorite so my favorite episode uh boy well I have to say you know, the kind of high watermark for us was World Enough in Time when I was with uh, George Takei. And having an actual scene with, with, with George was, was incredible and something that is, you know, great to have on a, on a, uh, on a resume. You know, th- that was really cool. I think, uh, you know, the other episode that I really like is Katoomba, which, which is, I think, going to be a phenomenal Klingon episode. And then uh, Bread and Savagery, the one we just filmed, uh, I really like as well because, again, Scotty's in command of the Enterprise for the entire thing. <laughs> Is there any funny stories that happen on set? <laughs> sure. There's, you know what? There's, it's, there's usually not, especially when you get, like, uh, Doc John and, and me and, and James Colley together and, and those guys. It usually breaks down into to sophomore you know, behavior pretty, pretty quickly. Um, I would have to say there there is there is a great you know if you want if you're looking at uh, self uh, deprecating humor right I think that uh, one would be where the first time I met uh, George Takei I was in uniform uh, George was already on set and uh, this was the uh, conference room set so I walk in right to to meet him and he goes oh and look we have a young Jimmy Do in here and he's got Jimmy's belly as well. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I was like, oh, my God, man. He just, I go, did George Takei just call me fat, right? And uh, everyone is just laughing their ass off because, you know, like, you know, my gut is kind of like a running joke here in, in on the sets, you know? Excuse me, excuse me. Yeah. You Charles Rue? I am. I am. Oh Thank you. God, yeah, yeah, you right. So yeah, awesome. yeah, right. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, sir. Security, please remove this man oh, over please, here. Please, no, I'm remove. Remove. Fan. Hey, did you hear that gunshot over here? That was the last that fan that asked for me. Yeah, 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 all right. You're yeah. my biggest yeah. fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That uh, that was Bill Lutz, uh, editor extraordinaire for Phase Two. Uh, he is also a incredible comic book artist. Absolutely amazing you have to go check out omniverse and uh and see some of his stuff uh pathways you know it's it's amazing so please go check out his comic book work amazing what about the mustache i don't th- I think i ever see you in a mustache out of character <laughs> yeah uh so the mustache where well, the reason why uh we have that is because we were really trying to transition scotty into the the phase two movie era type of scotty uh, with the stash, and of course, uh, the that was established for the Scotty character. Then, so we make that maybe we make that leap now. Personally, the look on me is it's not that great. It kind of comes off as seventy porn star, right? So you either Scotty or seventies porn star, right? Uh, my wife likes neither. So when uh, you ever see me in person, it's either clean shaven, full beard, goatee, but but no stash. One of, one of the people that I I met as well through star trek uh, new, new voyages was rod roddenberry okay he he had come up here and and shot in harm's way with us and the, you know surreal moments you know we, we we shoot this in in new york in upstate new york and there was a we had set this the before we had the studio that we we're in now we were in a much smaller space so we never didn't have any room to set up any corridor or anything like that so to do that we had to rent out a gym and set things up there so one night after we had been done filming, they needed the gym the next day. So we had to tear down. It was really late at night. And uh, Rod just pitched right in, you know, rolls up his sleeves, go like, let's tear stuff down. Let's get this done. So it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, all right? And I am rolling the Jeffries tube, okay, which comes apart. It's this gigantic tube. I'm rolling the Jeffries tube up the main street of this small town with Rod Roddenberry and the, that moment of surreal, like, life comes in. You're like, I am rolling a Star Trek set up the main road of a small town, okay, that I don't live far from, with the son of Star Trek's creator, okay? You know, and I'm like, does it get any weirder than this, all right? It was absolutely amazing. And then that, then the next day was the season premiere of Enterprise, right? And I'm having a beer with Rod. And again, another surreal moment where it's like, I'm drinking a beer with the creator of Star Trek's son, all right, watching Star Trek on TV. My God, does it get any weirder than this? <laughs> did you know that Phase 2, I'm not sure where it was at in that stage yeah. at that time, but did you know it was going to get as popular as it has become? When we first released uh, In Harm's Way, our competition for before that, of course, this is, you know, you got to think, 10 years ago, 10, yeah, this summer it's going to be a 10th year of, of New Voyages or Phase 2. I call it New Voyages. Us old school new guys are New Voyages. So, um, And at the time, the most watched thing on the most downloaded uh, event on the internet was the Victoria's Secret's uh, lingerie show. And it had something like 3.5 million downloads. When we did In Harm's Way, we had close to 6 million downloads in the first week. And that's when I knew it was going to be huge. Hi, I'm Blake Calhoun, the creator of the web series Pink and the sci-fi web series Continuum, and you're listening to Genretainment Radio. Okay, well, this is Marks with Genretainment here at uh, Upstate New York on a set of Star Trek Phase Two with a couple of Klingons here. Uh, could you guys introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'm uh, Brian Tubbs. My name is Wayne W. Johnson. Great. What can you guys tell us uh, about Katumba? Well, okay, so the, the, the idea of Katumba is we're trying to transition and try and give the fans out there an idea of uh, the transitional period and how we get these ridge heads and how we have these non-ridge heads. And uh, also, there was the Klingon High Council, 
and how did that get all get set up uh what, what was it like before the council and so you get to see an interaction there between the kitumba is actually their emperor so to speak but he's a, he's a young man and he's not fully in charge yet and malthon here he is his uh war guy and he's pretty much running the show but he's not doing things right and so we didn't see that conflict in the episode of what he's trying to achieve and how we can resolve that conflict and and get this guy out of there get mouth on out of there wait um no well basically what he said is you know just to add to that a little bit um the katumba is like 16 years old and uh, obviously he's not old enough to wield the, the full power so um in light of that uh Malkdon has been um basically granted or he basically hold he's the real power at the moment uh, in a sense, you know, everyone still believes in uh, the Katumba because of what he represents. He's from a bloodline, of, the bloodline of Kalis. Um, and so it's kind of like, in a way, a little bit like the emperor in Japan, in that sense. Almost like you have the emperor and then you have the prime minister. Okay, the prime minister is the one who's doing all this stuff. Now, granted, to all the Japanese fans out there that I'm not saying the Klingons are Japanese, we're actually bikers. <laughs> so... <laughs> As you, if you could see us right now, you'd see all we need are Harleys, and we're all set to go. And yes, but um, basically, um, it's uh, you know, and Malkdon has different ideas. He's more, he's one of these guys. It's like, you know, the Klingons are all about honor, but he believes it doesn't matter what the conditions are. He wants a battle with the Federation because he believes we're going to wipe them out totally and completely, and the sooner the better. And but here we got this young boy here who's basically, you know, our chance to destroy the Federation. That is our chance for the greatest glory of all. And here's this boy. We're, we're kind of relying on him. So there's some frustration there. And meanwhile, the Federation gets wind of this. And they're trying to put a stop to this before there's a giant war between the two, which basically it's a no-win scenario. They'll both destroy each other because they're basically evenly matched. Right, and the Klingons that are helping to thwart Malkthon, uh, of course, he wants to label them as traitors. But uh, in their minds, they would rather not see an unnecessary battle that's going to only result in, in a lot of death and destruction. Now, they like death and destruction, but for what they see as an honorable cause an honorable reason not just for the sake of losing lives and there's no reason for this war right now uh and certainly not the Katumba's will it's just this one guy Malkthon who's decided to take upon himself to throw the entire empire under the bus you know now you guys can't see them but they're all decked out in uh bumpy forehead clean on style uh, how long did it take you guys to get in makeup uh you know, the process can take anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half depending on how things go uh, you know, it's not just applying the, the prosthetics, but it's also blending everything and makeup and hair, adding hair slowly. And, and then you got to get in costume. And so, yeah, it's about an hour, hour and a half, something like that. Yeah, it's, um, it's not as simple as just throwing on a Klingon mask and something that you buy at uh, Kmart or something like that. You know, it's, it was, I mean, all the people that are working with makeup, prosthetics, all that, like everyone else on Phase 2, um, they know that the fans... You know, if they, if they don't have that standard, the highest standard up there, they're going to be torn apart. So they they are just as much nitpicking, if not more so, than the fans about that. Because they'll, they'll see it in a heartbeat. Like, oh, there's something wrong here. This isn't right. This isn't here. The fans aren't going to like this. So, you know, it's they're really, it's like under the microscope. I mean, I don't know how many times it's like, I would look in the mirror and say, oh, that's great. And they go, nope, they're right there, a little bit of a touch-up. Right? Okay, there you go. And it's like, oh, I didn't even notice that. Now, both of you guys have played other characters in other Phase 2 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Not that character. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the character that is. <laughs> it's a triple. <laughs> so can, triple can you talk about what else you've played? Um, I've, uh, I'm uh, one of the permanent cast members. Uh, my uh, role in that is uh, Ensign Dawson Walking Bear. He doesn't look anything like I'm looking right now, except for maybe the hair. But even his, the hair is actually a little longer than what he has right now. Uh, he's originally from the animated series. Uh, there was an episode through that. And uh, since we've established with the vignette um, that we just put out, Going Boldly, or Boldly Going, I can always, I always mix that up. But uh, watch that on YouTube. Give us some more hits. 
it's kind of been established that a lot of the fan uh, productions that are coming out, especially there's there's more and more coming out because they've seen what Star Trek Phase Two has accomplished, and they're like, oh, you know, hey, we can do this too. And plus, the production values on the original series, it's not like trying to do a next generation, you know, where the production values on the original was just so much higher, and it's just so much harder to duplicate. Not that it's easy to do that with the original series by any means, but anyway. Um, what happens is a lot of them are within that five-year mission. And with that vignette, um, Star Trek Phase Two has established that we are now going beyond the five-year mission. It's the fi after the five-year mission and the first movie. And in between that was the animated series, so it's kind of following the timeline. So you're starting to see other characters be brought in, like, like Dawson Walking, Walking Bear. And um, what's going to be interesting with that is I've already been in um, two episodes plus the vignette, and... Uh, in the animated series, he was only in one episode and wasn't really established. He was just kind of there. It's like Sulu is, in that time frame, Sulu has gone off to raise a family and other things. Um, oh, my. So, <laughs> so um, one of the people that are replacing him on the console is uh, Walking Bear. And they've never really developed that character. So I think that's what they're going to be doing with Star Trek Phase 2. They're going to be like filling in the blanks. Uh, on not just Walking Bear, but all sorts of characters in there. So it's uh, it's going to be very a very interesting ride. Great. And uh, how about you? Yeah, uh, the characters I played were I was uh, on the original Kit Tumble. We're doing pickup shots. We're we're doing some other things that, that needed to be taken care of. And so uh, I, I was there. In previous episodes, I was in uh, what we're now calling the Protracted Man, uh, and that I played Gary Mitchell, which is a pretty I guess you could say famous or, or iconic character. Even though it was only one episode, it's pretty amazing to be so iconic when you were in one episode of Star Trek. But uh, So I get to do that, and I play the younger Gary Mitchell in uh, the Academy days. All this stuff hasn't, isn't out yet, so uh, all the stuff I've contributed is waiting to, to be out there, even though I've been doing this for a while now. Uh, and also um, in Bread and Savagery, which we just shot this past June, um, there was a character who was, uh, it wasn't a day player, but more of a, um, side character, you know, the, there's character. a supporting character you know, to the antagonist because he had to have his main henchman, um, on Magna Roma, Claudius had to have his, his main guy that he can say, go and do this, my bidding. And, uh, there's, there's lots of stuff this character gets to do for not being a, uh, not central, really a central character. So that, that was a. Uh, a lot of fun to do so yeah and not sure what I'll be doing next you know <laughs> see what's interesting is these are fan productions okay um, that basically means these are volunteer productions um, obviously these are owned by CPS Paramount so we can't it's not like um, we can sell shirts or anything like that or even sell the episodes themselves I mean they get uploaded on YouTube and stuff and they're shown on internet TV and everything like that but you, you can't make a dime off that stuff so um, it really is a labor of love and but unfortunately, because of that, and because you see the crews here, that we can have anywhere from like 40 or 50 people, more than 100 people here at a time, combined cast, crew, production, and everything like that, everyone's coming in here. Because it's, you know, we're not making any money here, it takes a lot longer because, you know, of the resources and everything else. So, but they always, no matter what the production value is, they always strive for the highest quality possible. So... You know, I mean, the original Katumbo was filmed back in 2009, you know, and it's taken this long to get everything up to speed. And then they, you know, there's some things that needed to be fixed. So that's what we're here right now to do is to fix it and get it out there to the quality standards that Phase 2 is establishing and raising the bar, so to speak. Um, How did you guys first get involved with Phase 2? Well, um, speaking for myself, I got involved with Phase 2. I was, I was actually Googling... Uh, I was thinking, well, I wonder if anybody's developing a new Star Trek show for television, and you never know until you start looking, and so I, I googled new Star Trek, and new voyages was the first thing that popped up, and I thought, well, I wonder what this is, maybe this is what I'm looking for. I click it, I see, oh, this website looks pretty professional, and Star Trek new voyages, uh, and then I, I'm just really intrigued by what this is, so I keep looking, and I see, and I click on episodes, that was the first thing I clicked, really. And I see George Takei's face on one of the episodes, and immediately click that. So I watch it, and I'm I'm blown away by what I'm watching here. It's it's just phenomenal. Um, and ev every episode 
stepped it up a notch you know I mean of course when you start anything and you're figuring it out the production value is at a certain level and then at every level it's risen exponentially I mean really that word is not misused exponential uh, production value raising the people we bring the people we bring in Tobias Richter uh, special effects so it's uh, but yeah we started off with that one and then what I did was I called or I emailed the contact email which turned out to be Rob Morrow and I sent him my headshot and resume and I just said hey I'm, I'd like to be a part of it he gets back to me and uh, says yeah of course we'd love to have you come out and um, um, James ended up calling me and said yeah I'd like to come out and be a, a Klingon and this and that and so uh, it, I came out, I did my best to be as helpful as possible beyond just acting. I tried to help anywhere I could that I felt I like could be useful. And then um, they keep asking me to come back. So that's how I got here. I originally um, was, I'm always out on the search for acting jobs and stuff. I'm just throwing myself all over the place. And uh, uh, I got under uh, the radar of uh, Jeff Forsythe and um, th they were doing the Mind Sifter episode. And they, I saw one of his posts that said, hey, you know, we're looking for some people to be in a corridor scene. It's just an extra. Basically, you're a red shirt and you're disposable and stuff like that. But, you know, you know I was thinking, yeah, it'd be pretty cool to be wearing a Star Trek outfit and, you know, probably die because it is a red shirt, you know, so and stuff. But, yeah, why not? It'd be great. Great experience, you know. I'm always looking to network and stuff. That doesn't mean you can look at my Match.com profile. Haha, <laughs> there's not one there. But anyway, so... Uh, he told me to uh, contact Patty, Patty Wright. Uh, she's one of the main writers for Star Trek Phase 2. Just send your headshot and resume uh, to her, and she'll get back to you. And I did that, and a couple of days later, she said, she contacted me uh, on the, via the phone and said, um, you know, for Mind Sifter, uh, we'd like you to play, just for one episode, um, Ensign Walking Bear. You know, it's like all of a sudden, it's like, wow, so it's a speaking role. It's like, cool, all right. Yeah, I could do that. I'm not going to say no. So I came up here to do that, and we did our first scene, and sat down, started running through the scene, and got to my part. I said my line. This is the first take, and we got done. And um, James Cawley, he's the head of all this, uh, just came over and said, "Wayne, I need to talk to you for a moment." And that kind of, with my head, I'm kind of freaking out. I'm, I'm sitting there going like, uh, "Well, was I that bad? <laughs> you know, did, what did I do wrong here?" And he just pulled over and he pulled me over to the side and just said, "Would you like to be a permanent member?" With Star Trek Phase Two, and I said, "Yeah, be great." So he made the announcement, and then um, we just continued on with the scene, you know. And uh, so I'm walking bare. And okay, great. Anything else you guys would like to add? I'd just like to add that for people out there who uh, have an interest uh, in this and maybe think they have some undiscovered talent, um, maybe you don't. No, <laughs> but maybe you do. Uh, and it's not just actors, and it's not just uh, that. But we need, you know people with computer expertise and, and lighting and programming, um, you you may think we, we've got it all figured out. we got these episodes out there. We People don't stay forever. It is a volunteer project, and sometimes people move on, and so there's always spots to be filled and people being groomed up to, to continue this, this thing. And without new infusion of new people, it doesn't keep going. So if you like what you see and you like what you're watching, don't be shy. Come on out. Uh, just to compliment what... Um Brian said here uh, that you know if if you are working on um, beginner level and you want to see what the pros are doing and experience it and learn it not to not to be egotistical or anything but really I mean again this is a fan production but having said that it's I've been on pro sets and it's there's really no difference you know I mean and they're always willing to have people come in and learn or help or both you know so um we're always looking for people to, to come in and join the family. And when I say family, I'm not saying that lightly either because everyone is very friendly, gracious, willing to help everyone out at a drop of a dime. You know, so I should say hat since there's no money involved. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's great. We have people who sometimes they, they come here and they, have, they don't know what they're doing at all. And within a day or two, they're right in the fray. Because it's, it's not like, oh, well, you don't know what you're doing. S sit back, you know, and just know your role. It's, no, come on here. Get in, get right in, throw you right into the deep end, you know. And But, of course, it's monitored and everything. And get you right into it. And you get that experience. It's great for networking. It's all the way around, cast, crew, whatever. 
it's it's a great experience so it's highly recommended for anybody who wants to be in it's you know and there's been so many people already that have been coming in it's almost like a rite of passage in in new york state it's like if if you want to get to the next level you've got to be involved in at least one episode of star trek phase two hi my name is crystal Lowe from primeval new world and you are listening to genre Entertainment. captain's log stardate 26 23.3 urgent cryptic orders have mysteriously diverted the enterprise to Space Station K-7 and the disputed area with the Klingon Empire. This is Marks. I'm up here in upstate New York where they're filming Star Trek Phase 2. I'm about to speak to the man himself who uh, created Phase 2. <laughs> Could you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about Phase 2? Well, you know who I am. You, you work on Phase 2. <laughs> yes, I do work on Phase 2. <laughs> James Cawley, and I'm the executive producer of the show. Right. So now phase two has been around, I think you're approaching 10 years, right? 10 years. Yeah. I, somebody told me nine years ago that we'd still be doing it in 10 years. I would have said you're crazy, but we're still doing it. Yeah. So what started all this? What, what, what created the genesis of the concept, the idea of making a continuation of Star Trek and then actually going out there and doing it? Uh, truthfully, it was running around the backyard as a kid playing Captain Kirk, you know, and then, um, wanting to be involved in filmmaking in some form so i just wanted to you know keep playing captain kirk and i wanted to be able to look back at it so that was that was it so how do we film it and um and then it took on this whole you know more serious thing you know this this serious outlook i guess as the thing started snowballing and more people started getting involved and uh, just became this big glorified hobby you actually have a replication of the bridge right bridge the transporter room sick bay briefing room quarters and corridors yeah we're not missing too much <laughs> are those based off blueprints i mean actual measurements or? they are they are built from the original studio blueprints that were gifted to me by bill tice when he passed away in um, the early 90s i've lost track at the time but now you're obviously avid star trek fan you know really? I'm just guessing. <laughs> and where did it all start for you with Star Trek? And, and, and what's led you this way? Because I know you've been involved with some other elements of Star Trek leading up to this. Well, oh, I watched it as a kid. I mean, it was on every night and two, two or three different channels. And, you know, it seemed like it was on three or four times a, a day back in the 70s. You know, you could turn the TV on and Star Trek was on at some point and I always stopped everything to watch it and I knew when it was going to come on so if I was out with a f- gang of friends I knew that oh okay it's 4 o'clock I have to run and turn Star Trek on I mean I was literally that hooked on it and um, I just I think as a kid I liked the whole spaceship and aliens and all that kind of thing and then as, a, as an adult I started to appreciate what they were talking about mm-hmm. you know what they were trying to accomplish with the show And I don't know unlike any other sci-fi creation it just spoke to me and it always has still does you go to great detail especially with the costumes and such i mean can you tell us a little bit about that and your background in costuming well sadly i guess i was born with this perfectionist nature that i think i got passed down from a grandfather and i always wanted to have the star trek uniform but i wanted it done right because i'd seen all you know people wearing their own replicas or whatever and i was never satisfied i would look at it say oh that doesn't look quite right and um, I took it upon myself to really want to do it right and so I just one afternoon called Paramount Pictures and I asked for the guy at you know I read his name at the end of the the credits of one of the episodes it said costumes so I said well I'll ask for this guy and um, you know I asked for him Bill Tice he answered the phone and over a few months we struck up a friendship and uh, you know he basically told me you know this is what we use this is the fabric um these are the colors. I'll send you some pieces. And then as the friendship grew, he gave me more and more things and, you know, tricks of how they were put together and, and all that stuff. So I was able to get the perfect uniform out of it. Then apply that to the to the film project. Now, what? whenever you are picking out scripts or projects to make a Phase 2 project, what, what is it that you're looking for? What, what do you think makes a good Star Trek script? Well, you know, initially I... I didn't pick the pilot and I didn't pick the second one. It was because we either had somebody that had it or or offered to do it and it was I was so new to the game that I didn't even think about it, but when they weren't quite what I was looking for, you know, in, in retrospect, 
I started saying to myself, what is it that I like about Star Trek? And then I wanted to find something that spoke to not just me, but other people. I didn't want sci-fi fluff. I wanted something of importance, you know, which is why we did the we did the Walter Koenig episode, which, you know, was this whole looking back on your life and have I have I been a success or have I failed at my life and uh, what kind of an impact have I had on with others in my life and then we did world enough in time which was uh you know this huge you know uh event for us and um and then my personal favorite which is blood and fire because it was a very relevant topic i thought that star trek had never you know had the guts to address officially so things like that anything that's that talks about the human condition and 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 the the relationships that everybody have i i I really feel that when you're going to do star trek you have to pay respect to the guy that laid down the laws, and that's Gene. And if you can't follow the example that 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 he, you know, established, then don't make it. Don't make it. Um, now you mentioned a few Star Trek alumni who've made appearances. Um, for those people who maybe have not watched Star Trek Phase Two, could you mention uh, just a little bit about the backgrounds of some of those people who have made appearances, both? On screen and off screen. Oh, there's a lot, and you know we owe so much to so many. Uh, Doug Drexler, uh, Emmy and Academy Award winning uh, uh, artist, both in makeup and special effects. Um, Kevin Haney won the Oscar for makeup, contributed to the show. Mike and Denise Okuda have have uh, always provided uh, artwork to us. Jim Vanover um, from the art department at Star Trek. Uh, Walter Koenig, you know Chekhov has appeared as Chekhov, George Decay has appeared as Mr. Sulu, uh, Grace Lee Whitney, uh, Yeoman Rand has been with us, uh, Nichelle Nichols was here filming, you're putting me on the spot, there's so many, Mark <laughs> Scott Zickery who wrote for Deep Space Nine, um, Michael Reeves, David Gerald, uh, again, wrote The Trouble with Tribbles and uh, did Blood and Fire for us and uh, Dear Friend, I mean a, a lot of, and, and a lot more than I'm not mentioning, Rod Roddenberry. The, the list is, is pretty long. <laughs> and a lot of extras, you know, Mr. Kyle from the original, John Winston. Uh, there's so many. There really is. How did you get some of these people? Did you already have friendships that you struck up with them? Or is it just networking? Or well, they hear about not, the show? It really is networking. And it's one person that you know introduces you to somebody else that they know. And then you meet somebody and then they introduce you to other people. So it's And you find that there's this incredible love for that show. You know, there is for the later shows, but the original 79 episodes are such a deep love and affection for that to this day that when you're doing something like this, it seems that, that the fan networking is as strong now as it was in the 70s to keep it alive. So it's it's still there. Okay, so you've had a, a lot of Phase 2 episodes. What would be your favorite and why? Blood and Fire. Um, only because it was a topic, a hot-button topic, and I thought... Star Trek was always at its best if when it was taking pot shots at something that was that was relevant to our our culture and I didn't I don't think it, that franchise produced Star Trek has done that in a long time. So when the opportunity to, to tell that story came up I was like we have to do it we have to do it. And part of me was really excited to do it and part of me was very scared to do it because I figured we were going to take a lot of crap, you know, for even touching the subject and doing it the way we were doing it. But talking to David Gerald about it, you know, he said to me, what can I do? What can I do? And I said, Dave, let's just take the gloves off. Whatever you want to do, let's just do it. And we'll face the consequences. In case someone hasn't watched that show, what is it you're talking it's, about? It's the first um, uh, openly gay relationship in Star Trek. And when we decided that we were going to do it, it was how can we take it even further and really make it affect the crew and we came up with the idea of making Kirk's nephew the gay crewman, and then Kirk would have to, you know, be put in an awkward position family-wise. Does he accept it? What is Kirk's position on it? Then his nephew wants to get married, and he wants Kirk to perform the ceremony, and then they get embroiled in this whole, you know, adventure that leads them in the opposite of what that part. So you had your A story and your B story. And I knew that there was going to be this huge audience of, of people that wanted to see it and would support it, and that if we shortchanged them, we would be crucified. And then I knew there was going to be this whole other segment of the population that would be upset that we did it. And I feel we were going to be crucified by them. So we were on a really tight line. We, we couldn't, we had to be very careful. I had just hoped that we affected people and we did. And that, that was what was important about it. And now you just mentioned a new character that was introduced. That was Kirk's nephew. Was that a new character? He was actually introduced in the original series. His nephew, Peter, was introduced in the episode Operation Annihilate. He was younger, but he was in the episode. Okay. 
we fudged the timeline a little bit so that we could make him a little bit older. We speculated that maybe Peter was 12 or 13 in that original episode, so we just kind of bumped him up to like 18, 19. And, and you have a number of other characters that are uh, secondary characters to Spock and, and right. McCoy and, and Kirk, like Zahn, and uh, I think online you've uh, hinted to Walking Bear. Yeah, um, Walking Bear is now on board, and uh, uh, Erex is on board as a fully CGI character, and uh, Chris Doohan. Uh, James Dewan's son does the voice, which is really nice, and uh, it kind of connects the uh, the animated series to the live action episodes, which has never been done. And what made the transition from it being called New Voyages to Phase Two? Well, I, I always had a fascination with everything about Phase Two, which was the unproduced second series. I had this r- real passion for it, reading about it, seeing that they were going to use the original wardrobe but kind of change the sets, and, and then we had this change of direction and personalities behind the scenes and so I thought you know what let's just kind of reinvent ourselves as phase two new voyages slash phase two and keep going and you know bring in all these other elements to kind of bridge the connection between the original series and the movies let's really show how they get you know to the movies that we all know and love because as you have all these years in between nobody knows what these people were doing so that became the idea this is where our episodes would fall in between this last episode in 69 and the first movie in 79. So we had that 10-year gap to fill. So how many episodes do you guys have online? God, I've forgotten. How many are online? Eight? I think there's eight online at this point. And uh, there's three in post-production. A couple of them we've had some difficulty with, um, either through not having our own footage, access to our own footage, or or having to do pickup shots and special effects. So, And I'm very adamant about not delivering something to the public that doesn't hold our what I feel is our standard. So when we hit that mark, then we release it. And you developed a really good visual effects team. Oh, I think so. We've got some, some really great people involved, and and it seems like we have newer people coming in all the time. So it's. And I'd be remiss without mentioning, you know, you played Kirk for yep. quite a few years, but uh, for Brad Savage, or you brought a new actor. Yep. yep, and it was the best thing that I think I ever did. Um, I, I enjoyed playing Captain Kirk, but there was this stress level of having to memorize that dialogue and worry about every other aspect of the show and then having to deal with any fan backlash if one part of the show whether it be my performance or costumes or sets or whatever didn't meet you know the standard that they think we should be at so I thought to really make our show that much more slick and polished I needed to get out of the acting business and find an actor a real actor that was capable of playing the part doing it justice and that's what we did who's that actor? It's Brian Gross, and um, we're all excited. He did a great job on that episode, and uh, he's coming back in the spring. He's bringing his wife, and she's also a professional actress, and uh, she's going to be playing a very cool role. Um, I don't want to tell anybody yet. Stop <laughs> <laughs> secret. No, we're not like Paramount, but it's it's a really exciting story um, uh, written, again, by Rick Chambers, who wrote the last one, um, and we're just all really jazzed about it because it really connects the pieces to one of Kirk's pivotal relationships of the past and shows you how those people came together and leads to elements, you know, that people see in the future. So, And whenever you started to play Kirk, you know, whenever you had to make those first acting decisions, what did you decide, like, how much Shatner was going to be and how much of you was going to be in that um, Kirk? Well, believe it or not, I mean, sometimes I was accused of being Sh- too much like Shatner, but I never, the only conscious decision I ever made about uh, copying William Shatner was I, w- I was never going to do that speech pattern that he has but when I walked or if I moved I wanted to copy his movements because I felt that that was a strong part of the character because he was always very definite in what he did the way he carried himself the way he moved so I tried to emulate his movements um, and then somewhere along the way we came up with this funny thing when you're reading a script like you'll you'll read the script and there'll be one line in the thing that you go oh my god I can hear Shatner saying that line so then I was like okay well I have to say that line that one line in every episode so if you watch the episodes there's at least one instance in an episode where I intentionally channeled Shatner for the laugh and that's why I did it but other than that I always just tried to be myself and kind of you know be the captain have you ever met Shatner? Yeah, a couple of times. Yeah, real nice guy. And I got to interview him like we're doing now and ask him how he approached the character. And he was very gracious, very nice, 
met Chris Pine. Uh, he was absolutely terrific as well. And what can you tell us about the future of Phase Two? I can't. I don't know what. <laughs> we're we're moving into a new new and bigger studio, and we're all excited about it. And the next episode is you know getting ready to be put on the on the the calendar. And uh, you know I'm just excited that it's still going on. I'm excited that all these people that I've made friends with, including you, they come back, and we keep doing it. And it keeps I think getting better and better. We keep learning from our mistakes, hopefully, and we we just you know we want to we want to have fun with it and um as long as we can continue to have fun and we continue to look past our warts and all that we'll keep doing it you know you know phase two besides being a you know well done fan production it's also one of the first early web series we're getting old now (laughs) (laughs) you know what what was the choice of making it go on the web versus like film festivals or however other fan productions did it back then well yeah first of all phase two is a lot older than people realize I started doing Phase 2 in 1997. Um, I have a lot of footage that was shot on Betacam that a lot of people have never even seen um, with me as Kirk and some different actors doing, doing all kinds of testing as we were building sets and all this kind of stuff. So people don't even know that. I was never in a hurry to film the episode and put an episode out anywhere. I was doing it for myself. I wasn't doing it for the masses. And um, it was actually Jack Marshall who did the pilot um, was, was a very internet savvy guy, and he basically was the guy that came up with, okay, you know, we we should put them on the internet, you know, and I did, yeah, because there was there was other ones that had started to to crop up. Exeter, I think, was the one that was pointed to us, but we were already in production. Man, people don't realize it. We were in production long before Exeter was. They just happened to have released an episode online before we did. But when we released an episode, I think we released a bigger episode. <laughs> but you know, I love their work. Uh, they were, you know, a great group, and I'm I'm sorry that they haven't done more work because they were enjoyable. There's a lot of them. Hidden Frontier um, loved their show. I mean, it had a lot of warts and things, but don't we all? And um, they had such heart. They had great storytelling guys, and they, they, they really poured their heart and soul into that. And I miss that show because I used to watch it every time they put an episode out. I was very impressed by their dedication to it. Where can people find Star Trek Phase 2? Well, we're still out there. It's uh, uh, Star Trek Phase 2, and that's the number 2.com, or I think I think Star Trek New Voyages.com still rolls over to Phase2.com. So we still have both both domains, and then we have uh, the episodes are on DNA. They, they're streaming. So just Google us. We're out there. Captain on the bridge. Mr. Spock? Captain. Scott. We're ready, sir. Phase one test shows that she's exceeded all design expectations. Then let's begin phase two. Well, thanks to the cast and crew of Star Trek Phase Two for taking some time to speak with us. Hopefully we can arrange more interviews in the future and we'll keep you updated on the show. So that's it for today's Genretainment. Check back next week when we speak with all new guests. So join us back right here on this channel at sci-fipulseradio.com. Until Until next time. time.